Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon, Phoenix. Welcome to Legitimate. I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton, bringing you the legitimate perspective on issues that I deal with every day. And today, I want to talk about insurance. Yes, super sexy, right? Today, we're talking about insurance. It's our adulting episode. And with us, we have two legitimate guests, Charlotte Burr with AZ Insurance Team, and of course, Mike Poulton with Poulton and Naroyan. So let's start with Charlotte. Why don't you tell us all about you and your awesome business? Go. (laughs) Hi, my name is Charlotte. Let's see. My boyfriend and I own AZ Insurance Team. I really hate to say boyfriend, though, because it makes me feel like I'm 12. Uh, We're actually having our 11th anniversary this May. So, man friend. (laughs) I don't think that's an improvement. Life life partner. There we go. I don't know. I don't know. So, we started the business together in 2012. Prior to that, I owned a farmer's agency for two years. I decided... That was not what I wanted to stay in. Um, However, they did give me really valuable skills, training, things like that, that helped me build my brokerage. And so since then, we've just been building up the business, hiring employees, uh, love what we do, and we do everything except for health insurance. So we do auto, home, life, commercial, and that's it in a nutshell. We're in Tempe. Actually, right right by Rochelle's office. Love it. I'm a huge nerd. So when I talk insurance with someone, I get super excited, and they're like, calm down. You're, what's wrong with you? No, just kidding. No, but I really like it. Um, I'm really passionate about it, and I love to explain why different types of insurance is valuable to people because most people have no idea, even though they've been paying for it their whole lives, they're just like, yeah, I said it and forget it. So I like people to understand what they're paying for every month. Such coincidence that we have Charlotte on the show today for our insurance episode. <laughs> so Mike, um, tell us about you, your business, and how you see insurance on your end. Well, uh, I'm Mike Poulton. I'm your lovely husband. Yes. And I am the managing partner of Poulton and Naroyan. We're a four-attorney civil litigation firm. We do primarily medical malpractice litigation, which is not directly insurance-related, although on the other side, we're virtually always collecting from an insurance company. So I, I do actually deal with insurance policy terms and negotiate with insurance adjusters quite a bit, and I think we're going to touch on a little bit of that later towards the end of this. But the other part of my practice is helping people with all different kinds of civil cases, uh, usually fairly complex things involving some kind of a transaction gone wrong or some kind of a disaster like a, a house gets destroyed or a contractor fails to complete a job. Who knows what? Insurance comes into play in almost all of those. Anytime something goes very wrong in the world, there's going to be an insurance policy involved. And since civil litigation is usually the result of something going very wrong, usually there's going to be some insurance around. So that's why I'm on today. Uh, And also because I take any opportunity I can to get on your show, Babe Sickle. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate it. So today we're going to start off with car insurance. So uh, let's go with Charlotte. So what Exactly is car insurance, why do you need it, and what does it cover? So car insurance is just like, just what it sounds like. It insures your car, but it also insures, 
it also provides coverage for if you were to hurt someone with your vehicle. You know, a lot of people get wrapped up in the, oh, I have to have glass coverage. Oh, I have to have $500 deductibles. And what I try and make people realize is as far as auto insurance goes, that's the a tiny piece of the puzzle because, you know, if your vehicle was to be wrecked, that's a finite loss. That is a predictable dollar amount that if you had to replace it, you know that dollar amount. But if you were to cause an accident with your vehicle and you were to, say, paralyze someone in the other car or even just whiplash, you don't know what that's going to look like for that person. What if that person already has prior injuries and this causes way worse injuries? You don't know what those bills are going to look like, which is why you need to carry proper liability limits on your auto policy. And so one thing that's happening in Arizona, finally, uh, we've had state minimum coverage being at fifteen thirty ten, and that's uh, $15,000, $30,000, and $10,000, I want to say for 50 years, which is preposterous because we all know that in 50 years, medical costs have gone up tremendously. However, auto insurance limits have not as far as what's required for people to carry. So they're finally going up to 25000 50000 15000 What that means is for the new limits, oh, and this goes into effect July 1st. For the new limits, if you were to cause an accident and hurt someone in the other car, it covers $25,000 per person you injure, $50,000 for everyone that you injure, and then $15,000 for cars that you bang up. Um, still not much, but it's better than fifteen, thirty, ten. dollars uh, I recommend everyone, I don't care if you work at McDonald's, I don't care if you don't have a dime to your name, I recommend that everyone have 100, 300, 100, not only for the damage that you could cause to someone else, but selfishly, the higher liability limits you have as far as hurting someone else, that means the higher limits you can have for un- and underinsured. So if someone hits you who doesn't have any insurance or if they have crappy insurance, the more un- and under uh, coverage you can have, that's all that much more coverage that'll cover you. So I always get the rebuttal of, oh, I have health insurance. I don't need that. Health insurance will not pay for your time off work, your lost wages, your pain and suffering, and un- and underinsured motorists will. I personally have $1.5 million in un- and underinsured motorist coverage because I know that about a third of the population in Arizona does not have any insurance, and I'm self-employed. I need to know that if both my arms are broken and I can't type on a keypad, I need to know that my wages and my lost income is going to be covered. So that's why it's so important to carry high liability limits. As attorneys, I don't think we're going to disagree with anything you just said. Yeah, I've been over here nodding along the whole time. That's, <laughs> that's exactly accurate. I, yes. <laughs> all that, of that. About I all I can say is, yeah, that's right on. Um, man, people, you can't count on anybody else to have insurance coverage or assets to pay for your injuries if they run into you. Most of the, I would say most of the accidents that occur are the fault of somebody who either doesn't have coverage or has too little coverage mm-hmm. for the scenario, uh, and that's bad for everybody else. Mm-hmm. So the bare minimums, uh, if you're one of those people who looks at your auto insurance requirements as something you wish you didn't have to pay for and you're scraping by with the bare minimum that the state will let you have, you're doing yourself a big disservice. Mm-hmm. 
I don't make any commissions from insurance policies. <laughs> I have no stake in that game. But I advise everyone to get excellent coverage, especially for automotive. Um, it's the most likely scenario that will result in a serious injury to you or your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, car accidents are the number one cause of those kinds of injuries. Mm-hmm. And insurance is cheap compared to Medical. The consequences. And also to add to that, if you are that type of person who's scraping by and you have state minimum coverage for your on an underinsured motorist, that means that you have $25,000 if someone was to hit you and hurt you in an auto accident. And if you're just scraping by, chances are you don't have savings or a nest egg to fall back on if you can't work for a couple months because you're really, really hurt. So selfishly, that's all the more reason you want to have good auto insurance is the CYA of it. All all of insurance is CYA. Just in case. Yes. Absolutely. CYA. And indeed, if you have a nest egg that is substantial enough that you don't really have to worry about time off from a catastrophic injury, then you certainly need much better liability coverage. Because that nest egg is directly at risk in any accident that you cause. Your homeowner's insurance and your automotive insurance need to be topped up. And perhaps you need an umbrella on top of that if you've got enough assets that you're pretty comfortable. Because we'll get those to assets that. can disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, insurance and liability is always, obviously, the number one concern that we have here talking on legitimate about insurance. It's really about risk shifting. You know, if you're out there and you're driving a car all the time, like I do, you want to make sure you have good coverage. Uh, We have a lot of traffic here in Arizona, and you spend more time in your car than really you ever do on a plane, sometimes even at home. Uh, It's just a really risky mode of transportation. So uh, accurate coverage and good coverage, it will always save you money in the long run. I want to talk about gap insurance Mm -hmm. since we're talking about car accidents. A lot of people don't know what gap insurance is and how it's sold is usually by a car dealership when you buy a car. Mm -hmm. And let's say you are in that car accident and you owe $20,000 on your car, but your car is only worth Mm $10,000. Well, your insurance company will, your car insurance company will pay the $10,000, the fair market value of your vehicle. Yep. But not the deficiency balance, the difference between what you owe on the vehicle and what your car is actually worth. So who's left paying that 10 grand bill? You are. Uh, That's just how that works. But if you have gap coverage, allegedly, you are not on the hook anymore for the difference between what you owe on the car versus what the car is worth. Any thoughts on that? Yes. So (laughs) this is a conversation I also have with people all the time. And I have a really interesting story that just came up with one of my clients about three weeks ago. And I'll, I'll come to that. So gap coverage... is absolutely essential to have if you are the slightest bit upside down in your car or when you drive off the lot, you will be upside down in your car. It is essential because you do not want to be making payments on a car that you no longer own, whether that's through theft or car accident or whatever. So you can get it when you finance your car. Typically, it's going to run you anywhere between $5 to $10 a month from the finance company. They push it hardcore when you're buying a car because I think the car salesman makes commission on it. I'm pretty sure they do because they push it hard. If you 
are not going to be that upside down in your vehicle, I recommend adding it to your insurance policy instead of paying for the gap coverage through your finance company or at the dealership. So typically, your auto insurance company will have a coverage of gap coverage or have an optional coverage of gap coverage, but there's limitations on how old the car can be and if there was a prior owner. But typically, if you're getting a new-ish car, 2019, 2020, you can, and there's a lien holder, that has, that's the important part. If, you're, if you paid cash for your car, you can't add it on. There has to be a lien holder on there. But it'll pay up to, typically, 125% of the value of the vehicle if you add it on your auto policy, and that's where it stops. So if you're way upside down in your vehicle, do not add it to your auto policy, get it from the finance company instead, again, as a CYA. But I had it come up with a, oh, and it's only like two bucks a month. It's even if you're not sure if you're upside down in your car, add it onto your auto policy, $2 a month, well worth it. I just had a client about three weeks ago call me and they said, hey, I'm being denied on my gap coverage claim. And it, it took me a few minutes to because they didn't have gap coverage on their policy. And I'm thinking, what? what? That you, eh, what? So, because that's not something that typically gets declined. And I found out after talking to her for a while, she said, oh no, the claim we put in at the, with the gap insurance company that we got through the finance company. And I said, okay, that makes more sense. And I said, why are you being declined? And she said, there's a clause in the contract where you cannot be using the vehicle in question for any sort of business services, which includes Uber and Lyft. He wasn't even drive the, the husband was not driving Uber or Lyft at the time of incident. They are saying, if you did it, period. If you did it three years ago and you told us, yes, this is something I do from time to time, they straight up denied her $9,000 claim for gap coverage from an accident. Well, that sounds like an insurance bad faith claim to me. They can't <laughs> uh, ask you the question, get your answer to it, then continue to take your premiums for three years and then not pay out and say, oops, you didn't comply with the policy. That doesn't work at all. <clears throat> no, it doesn't. The other story I have about gap coverage is also kind of a, a horror story, and it's when gap coverage doesn't pay out or they don't pay out immediately. So what ends up happening is, you know, when you're getting ready to pay on your car, it, of course, your insurance processes the claim, they pay the finance company, but that deficiency balance gets reported to your credit report as an outstanding balance due. So if you're not continuing to make car payments, you are looking at late payments, and it will tank your credit. So if you haven't gotten another vehicle by the time your credit report updates, you're looking at paying higher interest or even being just maybe even denied for another car loan um, because of this uh, time period that it takes. And you could take up to 90 days, six months to get an answer on gap coverage. So if you're buying it from the finance company or through the dealership, just know more about when they're going to pay out, kind of ask some questions up front um, because it's it's starting to show, uh, show up as a racket. And I don't want to be talking about it in four months from now. So <laughs> uh, just get more info on your gap insurance. But it's definitely worth having because it is so cheap and because, you know, cars are so expensive and especially their depreciation value just happens. So gap coverage is for now A-OK. -okay. 
So with car accidents, a lot of people don't know what to do when they're in a car accident. So we'll start with Mike. What is the first thing someone should do if they're in a car accident? Uh, First, check to see if you're seriously injured before you get out of your car. (laughs) (laughs) But we might be going a few steps beyond that. So assuming everybody's okay and there isn't emergency medical attention required, meet the other driver. Don't admit fault. Uh, It probably says these things on the back of your insurance card, uh, which is something that you should all be familiar with because there will be a little summary of the claims process uh, and including a reminder to not admit fault for an accident right at the scene. Now, this is something that probably everyone has heard, right, that you shouldn't admit fault immediately after you're in a car accident. But People often think this is some ridiculous legal technicality like, well, you know, if you if you hurt somebody, you should apologize and, you know, you just be a good person. Well, here's the thing. You were just in a car accident. I've been in a couple of car accidents, nothing too serious. But in every single one of them, I was pretty shaken up immediately afterwards. In fact, I was in worse shape than I thought I was at the time. Looking mm-hmm. back in retrospect, those first 10 or 15 minutes after the accident, I was a little out of sorts. And I didn't realize how out of sorts I was. That is not a time to be making important statements to someone you might end up in court with later. You don't really know what happened. The only thing you know is what you saw from the driver's seat of your car. And that may not have been an accurate impression of what really took place. So if you think you were at fault and you just creamed somebody and you're feeling terrible about it, let that sit for a little bit before you go off on an apologizing spree. Because it's possible that you didn't really appreciate how things went down. And it may well be that once the police get there and they take the statements separately and the witnesses are talked to and you've got an hour or so to chill out and think about things, that it turns out you really were not at fault. And perhaps the other driver caused that accident negligently. And you certainly don't want to be in court later if it turns out that you're the party that really got injured and the other guy is the party that really caused this thing You don't want to be having to explain why you got out of your car and three witnesses say that you were falling all over yourself to apologize for causing such a terrible wreck right away. (laughs) It's not a situation you want to be in. So those are the first steps. Make sure everybody's okay. Meet the other driver. Don't go admitting fault for anything. Just be cool and get their information. Contact the police. Make your statements and go about your business. You will need to notify your insurance company promptly, and there's going to be a number on the back of your insurance card that you're supposed to call for claims. That should be one of your first calls after you inform your friends and family that you're okay and what just happened and and you get home. Got to call that insurance uh, number there and get them informed, preferably the same day, uh, usually right away, and they're going to get the process rolling of getting a claim going for you. I'm pretty sure the sequence of events will be the same for Charlotte, but maybe a little bit more specific. (laughs) What should someone do the second they're in an accident? Other than uh, calling me crying, which happens uh, once a month, probably. Uh, We have a client calling us crying, not knowing what to do. Pretty much, uh, it's going to be a few minutes before, if the police do need to show up, it's going to be a few minutes. So this is a good time to take pictures. Take pictures of everything. Take pictures of the other person's driver's license, uh, license plate number, the VIN and the dash, their ID card. Give them over all the same information because it doesn't hurt. It, it'll, it'll never cause issues. Right, Mike? More, I would agree with that. More information, yeah. Definitely take pictures. You know, I didn't 
I didn't go into that in a whole lot of detail, but personally, my practice would be um, I have a surreptitious audio recording app on my phone. Once I start that, I can open it with two clicks and it'll start recording and then you can't tell by looking at the phone that it's recording audio. As long as I have that with me, it'll pick up everybody around me. If I'm in another accident, I'll be recording audio as soon as I get out of the car. Mm. I want audio of what everybody says around me, what the other driver says, what the cops say when they show up. I want an accurate record of all those conversations because I don't trust that people's notes and recollections of what's said by whom are going to be Mm -hmm. accurate. Um, There's going to be some kind of disagreement later, and that recording is probably going to be pretty important. Photos, very important. Mm -hmm. Get photos not just of close-ups of the damage, but of the whole big-picture scene. It doesn't hurt to take more pictures. Nope. Get Do the it. whole intersection, get everybody's cars as they stopped moving, get it from different perspectives, document the heck out of it because mm-hmm. it's going to be your only opportunity to gather that evidence. And I've had quite a few clients over the years say, oh, but the cop said this, but that's not what showed up on the police report. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, recording it. Now, Arizona does not have a where you have to consent to a recording law, right? Correct. It is. We are what's usually termed a one-party state. So as long as one person who is uh, being recorded mm-hmm. is aware that they are being recorded, you can record. Okay. So if you yourself are participating in a conversation or present for it, you can record that conversation without informing or asking anybody else. And uh, if somebody says, you can't record me, and you're in a a public place or on your own property, that doesn't matter a bit. You can keep recording. If they continue talking to you, then they are implicitly consenting to continue to be recorded. Hmm. You do not have a right to make someone stop recording you. Interesting. Fascinating. Well, who knew? Now we know. (laughs) So dealing with car accidents, going back to that and seeing, you know, kind of the fallout, one of the major things I deal with is when people don't get medical help right away. So a lot of times people, you know, will leave the scene, they'll go about the business, they'll start their insurance claim, life is great, but then they're super sore. Or worse, they find Mm -hmm. out they have a concussion or they've got back pain, joint pain, all sorts of problems. It never, ever hurts to just go get checked out. Always err on the side of caution because sometimes your injuries can be way more significant than you realize. And it's impossible really to overcome that hurdle when you didn't get medical treatment for a few weeks or a couple of months, and then you go back and try to say it was from the car accident. Personal injury attorneys have a really hard time with that one because it just the timeline doesn't really make sense. And I can tell you when you're in court and you're dealing with it, uh, your arbitrator or your judge is looking at that timeline wondering, were you really injured? Mm-hmm. Did you fall down the stairs in the meantime? <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of other things that can call the, cause those injuries, so you always want to make sure you just get checked out. Also, for those of you who don't know, personal injury attorneys don't cost you anything as the victim. You know, they are contingency-based services. So if you are in a car accident and you're wondering what your rights are, consult an attorney. It literally is free for you and you will get a better outcome because you're better informed. So there's my plug for personal injury attorneys. I agree with that. And I don't even do car accident law. I do do contingency injury litigation, but... Uh, That's exactly correct. A big part of the service that a contingency injury firm does is helping people understand what happened with their case. Whether you end up with a lawsuit out of it or not, at least they can go through your medical stuff, go through the facts of what occurred, and help you understand whether or not there is a claim to be made there. 
Yeah, because you can't go back in time. If you miss that boat, you miss that boat. There's no recovery if you wait too long. So if you've been in a car accident recently and you're wondering, should I call a lawyer? Yes. Yes, you should. Go ahead and call. There's plenty of them out there. They're all over the place. Just Google it. I especially (laughs) recommend if it's a multi-car accident. Because when it's a multi-car accident and you have a lot of parties involved, a lot of insurance companies involved, and a lot of coverages that you are not aware who has what and who really is at fault— I recommend getting an attorney. Let them babysit that mess so you are not spending dozens and dozens of hours on it. Right, Mike? Absolutely. That's totally worth the contingency fee. Yeah. Um, You're not really going to save anything by trying to negotiate something like that yourself. Mm -hmm. You may be looking at a 25 to 33 percent contingency fee and thinking, well, geez, that's a quarter to a third of my money that I'm not going to get. Well, that's a pretty short-sighted approach because the reality is the amount of money that your claim is worth is not a single number that is fixed in stone. Mm -hmm. Instead, it is a very nebulous, arguable concept of how much your claim is worth. And having an attorney involved greatly increases the value of your claim. Mm -hmm. It's literally worth more just because you got a lawyer. And it's worth a whole lot more than 25 to 33% more. As a single individual with no experience trying to negotiate your way out of a multiple coverage situation in which you've been injured, uh, all of those insurance adjusters and defense attorneys are looking at you as prey. They know they can out-negotiate you. Mm -hmm. They know they can cram you down on the number, and they know they're going to get away cheap. If you get a reasonably competent uh, personal injury attorney who has some degree of experience in negotiating with insurance adjusters, your case is instantly worth more disproportionately compared to the amount you will have to split with that attorney in order to handle it. You come out ahead by giving up some of your money. Yep. 75% of something is better than 0% of nothing. (laughs) And 75% of four times more (laughs) is a whole lot better. (laughs) So that's all I've got on car insurance. And we'll move right along to homeowners and renters insurance. So let's start with the renters insurance. What is it? And why do you need it? So renter's insurance, um, this one is so much more than people think it is. It is not just about your belongings. It's not just about your crappy old couch, your crappy TV, your cheap clothes. It, It really, that... As I mentioned with auto insurance, that is a finite number. You know how much it's going to cost to replace that. It's the other part that is much more unpredictable that the number will vary greatly. So the real reasons that you want renter's insurance, yes, it would be cool if there was a fire and your stuff was replaced. That would be wonderful. But renter's insurance will also pay for you to go live in a hotel, rent another house while Either your apartment complex is trying to make new accommodations for you to live in, or if you are um, trying to find a new house to rent if the damage is so bad that the house is unlivable. So usually for a renter's policy, it'll give you somewhere between $8,000 to $20,000 for those additional expenses while you're displaced from your house that you're renting. it's, It's so aggravating for me as an insurance agent to see people on Facebook where they say, oh, I had a fire in my house. Now I'm homeless living out out of my car. Here's my GoFundMe. Please give me money. 
Because if you just would have had a renter's policy, and I see them as low as 10 bucks a month, if you just would have had a renter's policy, you would not be putting your family or yourself in that situation. So it's very frustrating for me for something that's so inexpensive that people do not see as essential. And it re- sometimes if you have a fire in your house, that's the difference between you being homeless and not being, you know, Yeah, not being homeless. Having a home and not having a home. And then my favorite thing that renters and homeowners insurance, oh, and homeowners insurance has that too, uh, a a lot more coverage for additional living expenses if you have a fire in your house, water damage, stuff like that. My favorite thing that homeowners and renters insurance cover is personal liability. And a lot of people think, oh, if, you know, I have a friend in my house and that friend trips and falls down, it's going to pay out for their injuries. It is so much more than that. So say Rochelle and Mike are on the beach in San Diego and they're throwing a football back and forth and Mike chucks that football and it hits a kid. Those kids' injuries, that kid's injuries will be covered financially by the liability coverage on your homeowners or your renter's insurance. It's anytime you accidentally hurt someone anywhere in the world. It'll pay out for those medical bills, time off work, pain and suffering, lawsuit, all that stuff. So that's my favorite thing about homeowners and renter's insurance because that is the stuff that you cannot predict. You can't put a number on that like you can replacing your clothes, you know, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there, whatever. Another thing that is, I believe, the fastest rising lawsuit in America is another aspect of renter's and homeowner's insurance. It's an optional coverage it's called personal injury. And it's also, it, some companies call it personal offense, but it's not the same personal injury as it is on an auto policy for an attorney. This is defamation of character, libel, slander, and it's the fastest rising lawsuit because of social media. So that one is a huge deal just because people like to sue each other and words get thrown around on social media. And that will cover those lawsuits. Is it true, Charlotte, that your homeowner's or renter's policy covers your personal property, even if it's not in your home or apartment? Yes, but there's limitations. So (laughs) if you're—I get this question all the time. If your car gets broken into and say you have a bunch of stuff in your car, I don't know, camera equipment or whatever. So say you only have $20,000— In personal property coverage on your renter's policy, the most your renter's policy will pay out for your personal property away from your premises is 10%. So if you have $20,000 worth of coverage, typically you're only going to have $2,000 away from premises. And typically you're going to have either a $500 or a $1,000 deductible. So you can just take that away from your payout. So you really have about $1,000 of coverage. So that's just something that people need to be aware of, especially when you're moving. If you're moving across town and you have a U-Haul truck, you don't lock it, you go into Wendy's to get something to eat, and someone in that amount of time wipes out your U-Haul, yeah, that's going to be a bad day. That is a bad day indeed. Mm -hmm. And you're only going to get a thousand bucks in your pocket, but it is better than nothing. It is. So is there some kind of magical policy that would cover you in that event? On some auto policies, some, you can add on a coverage for personal property, but it's only like 500 bucks worth of coverage. So it's really not much. So don't be negligent with your U-Haul when you're moving. Yeah. (laughs) Lock your stuff up, throw your stuff in your trunk, 
Don't make it visible. Just use common sense. Like, if I was a thief, what would I look for? So, yeah. So I shouldn't duct tape the TV to the hood. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not, no. Uh, Well, you make a very good point about the importance of the liability component for renters insurance and homeowners. I think people are more familiar with the idea that homeowners insurance includes personal liability coverage uh, that applies even if you're not at your house. But that is absolutely true of renters as well. And that's critical. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways it's unfortunate that these policies are, are universally called renter's insurance or homeowner's insurance mm-hmm. for that matter. On the, the business insurance side, commercial insurance world, the property insurance and liability insurance are always separated and there's a clear distinction between them. Mm-hmm. But we just kind of package all that stuff together for the consumer market and it gives people – perhaps not the full picture of the benefits that they're getting from that kind of a policy and the importance of having it. Yep. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Dealing, especially when you've got extra bonus stuff around your house, like pools specifically, you want to just make sure that your homeowner's insurance is adequately protecting you along with, you know, if you have collections of things. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times people have made in Arizona specifically gun collections. You want to make sure that that stuff is protected in the event of a fire or theft or whatever. So how would you do that? So one of the things that I ask everyone that calls in for a quote is, do you need more than a couple thousand dollars for things such as jewelry, guns, collectibles, antiques, art, silver, anything like that. And the two thing, the two answers I usually get is jewelry and guns. Um, you want to keep that couple thousand dollar number in mind because that's usually the limitation of coverage for jewelry, guns, and those other items that I mentioned. There's usually about a $1,500, $2,500 limit for those categories. So if you have more than that, you definitely want to talk to your insurance agent about that. For jewelry, go get it appraised. Can I plug a place? Sure. Okay. There's a really, um, I haven't used it, but I've had clients that have used it. On Rural and the 60, there's a place called The Vault. They do really inexpensive jewelry appraisals, like 40 bucks a piece, which is dirt cheap. Yeah. So if, especially if you have um, hand-me-downs, you don't know what your grandma's earrings are worth. Go get those appraised. It won't take care of the sentimental aspect if something happens to it, but you'll at least be reimbursed for what they were worth. So you can replace them. Yes. Question. Do people need to get a an actual third-party appraisal like that in order to value these sorts of things for insurance purposes? Or can they find like online auction listings for a similar product and use that as proof of value? It totally depends on the insurance company. Okay. So I have my insurance through Safeco, which is owned by Liberty Mutual. Safeco is pretty trustworthy uh, as far as how much they trust their insureds to uh, apply. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So they'll give you up to 20 grand worth of coverage for jewelry without supplying an appraisal, which is pretty big. Um, Another reason we have our policy with Safeco is they don't have a limit for guns. So if we have water damage in our house and, you know, my 19 AK-7s, I don't have that, um, get damaged, we have coverage up to our personal property limit to replace those and, you know, get a payout for it. Huh. That's pretty good. Yeah. But you want to really look for... I would say if your insurance company does not have, like, 
you know, Safeco having twenty thousand dollars, well, where they will trust you if you apply a number to something. If you're, if you're, if you have no idea what your valuable jewelry is worth, anything over five grand. If you kind of sort of think it's worth over five grand, get an appraisal. You might be surprised; it might be worth a lot more or a lot less. And now mm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know. All right, for all of you business owners out there listening to Legitimate, we're going to cover commercial lines. I know. It's so important. Businesses screw this up a lot. And, you know, when I see a new business and they've been operating for a while and they've just kind of been, you know, winging it, it's pretty terrifying because they're breaking all kinds of rules like general liability and workers' comp. So, Charlotte, why don't you tell us what general liability and workers' comp are? (laughs) I'll start with workers' comp because that one makes me mad. Um, (laughs) Because... If your employee was to be injured at your business premises and you don't have workers' comp, what a, what's the word, um, pulling the rug out from under them as far as them relying on you to be safe and taken care of when they're at work and they're not. And especially in a clerical job, workers' comp is dirt cheap. I think mine for my four or five full-time employees is like 300 bucks a year. There was no excuse not to have workers' comp. If you're a roofer, yeah, your workers' comp is maybe $20,000 a year, but still your employees are relying on you to be taken care of if they're injured for something you told them to do. It's just, it's, it, yeah, I makes me sad. And like almost all other insurance we've been talking about, workers' comp insurance insures the employer against liability the employer will incur if an employee gets injured. Mm-hmm. You're not somehow off the hook no. just because you don't have insurance. It's quite the opposite. If you do not have workers' comp insurance as an employer and one of your employees is injured on the job, you are screwed. Super screwed. Super Very screwed. screwed. Very screwed. Like, you could go to jail screwed. Yep. There are criminal penalties attached to that, as well as completely unavoidable civil penalties. They will take everything you've got and your business in order to compensate that employee. Mm-hmm. It's your job to make sure you've got the insurance coverage. It is required. Now, I know the Arizona Industrial Commission will get involved. Will the Department of Labor also get involved? Yep. That I they don't will. know. Okay. Do they? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Everyone gets involved when it comes to workers' comp. You don't want that nightmare. You don't want the state knocking at your door for anything. Ever. Certainly do not. No. You don't want to be on their radar. You don't want to you don't want to play fast and loose. And because it's so cheap for most, you know, uh, businesses that have their first employee, unless you're doing something industrial or you're a contractor and there's manual labor involved, the clerical offices, it is just so affordable. You can't just start hiring people. There are processes and workers' comp is definitely one of them. Yeah, I think You know, the three of us have it kind of easy with our primary businesses because we all run offices. So Mm -hmm. each of our workers' comp coverage is dirt cheap, and we've never had a claim. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't think you've had a claim. I haven't either. Um, Knock on wood. Yeah. Don't get (laughs) injured, people. (laughs) I mean, what are you going to do? Carpal tunnel, I guess, is is falling out of your chair. Fall out of your chair. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really about it. Um, Changing light bulbs. But, anyways, uh, we're lucky. Because not all businesses are easy to get workers' comp coverage for. And contracting businesses in particular can be very difficult. You may not be able to easily get coverage as a new contractor opening your doors and starting to hire people. Uh, That can be quite challenging. And working with a good insurance agent Mm -hmm. uh, can really ease that process or at least make it possible. 
Uh, from what I've heard with the clients that I've dealt with who've opened new specialty contracting companies, it really is a challenge. But the bottom line is it's a cost of doing business and you have to do it. You can't afford not to have workers' comp coverage, especially if you're in that kind of a dangerous industry. And you're not going to get away with independent contractors. Not a chance. I was just going to say that. <laughs> your employees that are 1099s, nah. They are your employees. They are not independent contractors. Saying so doesn't make it so. Uh, the law <laughs> the law is very clear on this. It, it simply doesn't matter how you characterize the relationship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you call them contractors or employees or consultants. It doesn't matter what you call them. What matters is the actual facts of how you interact with that person in your business. Yep. And the bottom line is if you're telling them what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, they're your employees. Yep. There's no getting around it. Just just work with it. <laughs> um, I have a I have a company that I insure, <clears throat> and we were talking about her workers' comp audit, and I said this seems kind of low. Um, did you include the payroll for your son? And she said, No. Why would I do that? And I said, <laughs> I said, Is he an owner on paper? And she said, No. And I said, Would you expect him to be paid out if he fell off a roof? Well, yeah. Then include his payroll on the workers' comp. <laughs> oh, it's the only way that's going to work out. Family members of owners are still employees. Whether you pay them, I don't care what you do for your payroll. I don't care, but they're still your employees as far as the industrial Arizona Industrial Commission cares. And even if you're not paying them anything, if they're doing things in connection with your business and you want them to be covered— Right. You have to call them employees. Yep. I mean, you got to give them a $0 salary on the books and, and put them on the payroll. Yep. It's required. <laughs> I don't know if we're stressing that enough. But I don't like, think any uh, of us can be any clearer about that. <laughs> don't mess around with workers' comp. Employees are employees. And then general liability. General liability is exactly what it sounds. If someone visits your office and they slip and fall uh, walking through the threshold, that's going to get covered. But general liability goes pretty wide. So just like we were talking about how your homeowner's policy covers a ton of different stuff, that's what your general liability policy does, but for your business. Um, It's also referred to as a BOP, a business owner's policy. So a BOP policy is going to have 100, 150 different coverages on it. The most important one is the injury of, yeah, people in your premises, And that is why insurance companies have such a big problem with at-home businesses. So if you have an at-home business, if you have foot traffic, you have to have a general liability policy and a homeowner's policy, and you need to tell your homeowner's insurance company what you're doing. I, I tell this also to people all the time. You're not like being sneaky, keeping secrets from your insurance company, Because when something happens, not if, but when something happens, you don't want to be kept up at night thinking, oh, God, is that going to be covered or not? Talk to your insurance company. If they drop you, then they're not right for your situation. Sorry, tangent. Okay, general liability. So, yes, it covers injuries of people on your work premises. Um, It also covers if, so I was talking to a guy that's opening a car dealership, and the building is from 1940. And I said, there's a coverage on there. It's um, property or uh, damaged rented premises. And I said, what would happen if you overloaded one of the outlets and started a fire? 
because the other quote that he sent me from another agent had no coverage on there. And I said, that's a real big scenario for an old building. You could easily cause damage to that and not even realize you're doing it. So that's another really important thing to have on your general liability policy. Typically, it's included. You're either going to get $50,000 or $300,000, but it doesn't hurt just to double check to make sure you have it. The most interesting thing that's covered on a general liability policy is advertising injury. So if Rochelle decided to badmouth another law firm in town and they could prove that they lost money because of that badmouthing and they decided to sue Rochelle's business, then that part of the policy, that coverage would pay out for the legal fees and settlement. Right, Mike? Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Supposed to. Supposed to. That's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. It's only defamation if it's false. (laughs) Right. Right. And, you know, I I also talked to people about this. They were like, oh, I would never say something bad. And it doesn't matter if you do it or not. If someone accuses you of it, you still have to defend yourself in court. And do you really want to pay attorney's fees out of pocket? No. That is a very important point and especially important with regard to businesses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Individuals, I think, are less likely to get sued, uh, you could say, randomly. Businesses get sued randomly, Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. if you're fairly successful. Mm -hmm. You can get sued randomly. Uh, And, you know, when it does happen to individuals, it's usually successful individuals. People who are known to have money Mm -hmm. uh, are targets for lawsuits. Well, so are businesses. The ultimate question of whether you actually have liability, whether there's actually going to be a judgment against you or not, often is not the most important question. You may know from the outset that there's no real merit to the suit. You may know that the facts that they allege are totally incorrect and you can prove it at trial. But getting there, getting to the point where you can defeat this ridiculous claim that's being made against you or your company, uh, that is a long road and a very expensive one to go down Mm -hmm. because it will have to be litigated and it may be a very tough fight even for a case that appears to not have any merit to begin with. You don't want to be doing that out of your pocket. That's what insurance is for. Just get the insurance. Getting something thrown out of court because it was false, how much do you think it costs in attorney's fees to get to that point? You may even have to, you may end up in summary judgment motion, which you means you already went through the whole, oh, oh, it's the whole expensive. process. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the very least, you're looking at a motion to dismiss, which will be a few thousand dollars. But to say that you could realistically expect to kick a BS lawsuit for a few thousand bucks would be way overly optimistic because that's usually not how it goes down. Mm. Usually, you really can't get these things out right off the bat because people tend to think that when there's a, a bad lawsuit, they can just go to court and tell the judge what's going on here and they'll kick this thing right out. No, that, that's not how it works at all. This is a formalized process. It goes through multiple steps over an extended period of time, and you do not have an opportunity to march into court and tell that judge Hmm. what's up and get that case thrown out. That's just not how it works at all. That's simply not the system we have. So the opportunity to prove that the other guy's wrong and you're right is at trial, and that is the end of the process. Mm -hmm. You've got to go through the entire road to get there, and that usually is tens of thousands of dollars. And in a complicated case with high stakes, it is almost universally six figures in legal expenses and Mm -hmm. costs. One of the questions that I get from, especially contractors, people, when they get a contract and someone's requiring them to have certain amounts of insurance and certain types of policies, one of the questions I get is, 
well, why do they care if I have auto insurance? Um, I'm not hauling anything, whatever. It's not necessarily what you're doing with the truck. It's where you're going to be with the truck. So imagine a circumstance of you're a painter and you back up over a kid. That's the stuff that the general contractor is trying to insulate themselves from is the the damage that you could cause to someone while they kind of, they're you know you're on the job for them because even though that accident may have happened across town from the job site outside the Sherwin Williams store right there's a decent chance that the general contractor and perhaps even the project owner may get named as defendants in that lawsuit should they be no nah, they probably shouldn't be but I'm sitting here right now, and I can think of three or four different legal approaches that could be used to rope them into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't practice that way. I don't do those things, but plenty of plaintiff's attorneys do. And that's why uh, if you're in that kind of a business, your insurance coverage uh, on those types of projects is going to require – your contract is going to require that your insurance coverage cover the person, the company that's employing you, the general mm-hmm. contractor, as well as the project owner of that facility because they have liability exposure too. And that would be called adding them on as an additional insured. So adding someone on as an additional insured to your general liability or your commercial auto policy means that if you screw up and not only are you named in a lawsuit, but they are named in a lawsuit because of you, your policy will pay out for their legal fees. Correct, Mike? That is absolutely correct. And in the contracting industry, this is a a pretty routine but formalized process. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to be required on any major commercial job to add the general contractor and the project owner as additional named insureds with specific limits and with terms on the policy certificates Mm -hmm. that the additional named insureds must be notified at least 30 to 60 days before any termination of coverage uh, by the carrier Um, and all sorts of other particular terms that have to be included on those. And then you have to prove that you did that before you're even allowed to work on the job site. Yep. Before law, part of my job was administering that stuff for commercial construction. And that's where I come in handy. I usually get a certificate of insurance out in about an hour. Sometimes it's more complicated than that. But if you don't have an, an insurance agent or broker that's getting your certificate of insurance out within 24 hours, I mean, that could be costing you jobs. Absolutely. All it's day. pretty much expected. If you're, if you're going to get into that kind of business, you got to have that as part of your workflow because part of being a professional in that line of work is handling that back office stuff smoothly. Yep. So I wanted to touch base, uh, go back and talk about one of the things that you brought up in passing about having events at your home if you're an at-home-based business. Mm. And I want to talk about the network marketing. Mm. So there's mm-hmm. tons of yeah. companies like Cutco and Juice Plus where they rely on you to have parties, to sell your product, or to recruit people to sell your product. And, you know, this is not knocking on MLMs or anything like that, but there are a ton of them. So yeah. if they're operating out of their home, is there any liability coverage that they should also be getting? Should they be getting a general liability policy as well, or should they just be notifying their homeowner's insurance? Uh, definitely notify your homeowner's insurance company or agent That's a tricky one because it really depends on the insurance company. Safeco, for instance, again, the insurance company that I'm insured through, they have different riders you can put on your homeowner's insurance for um, at-home business. But there's limitations as far as if I'm throwing a party, how many people can be in attendance? Will there be alcohol uh, served? If I'm having parties at other people's houses, and, and something happens, what is the limitation of my liability coverage at 
off-premises at other people's homes. Uh, there's an insurance company called USLI, which is United, United States Liability Insurance, uh, one of the companies that I write policies through. And they have a really inexpensive policy for network marketing companies, for the salespeople. Um, I mean, it's like 300 bucks a year for a million. Yeah, that sounds like a, a no-brainer. Yeah. So if you're serious about your network marketing company and you are hosting parties at home or somewhere else or off-premises or doing presentations at networking events, you should definitely be looking into this kind of coverage. I didn't even think of that. So That seems like the kind of situation where somebody who has a little more wine than they should with heels right. a little taller than they should be ends up with a knee surgery they want you to pay for. Or a Cutco. What if you drop a knife on someone's foot? Yep. Yep. Yeah, those things are wicked sharp and super awesome. The insurance is cheap and the hassle is major if you don't have it. So it's worth doing. Another thing I want to touch on going back to the commercial insurance is one of the coverages that is becoming more and more popular is tech liability. Yes. So if I am accepting credit cards in my office and somehow my uh, Wi-Fi gets hacked and someone's able to extract all of those credit card numbers out of my my credit card swiper, uh, that is my responsibility to keep that information safe um, as the business owner. So there's a policy or an endorsement you can make on your general liability policy for tech liability. And it's becoming more and more important as you see companies like Target getting hacked. If Target can get hacked, every single business can get hacked. And again, if someone loses their livelihood because of information that they expected you to keep safe and it was compromised, that's a bad day. Right, Mike? That is a bad day indeed. It's a bad day and for everybody. And as attorneys, Rochelle and I both have a lot of concerns about that. And it's mm-hmm. it's coverage that we in particular have been careful to make sure that we have. Mm-hmm. Some other businesses, especially medical offices, anybody dealing with uh, medical information or financial information have the same kinds of really serious tech security concerns. Mm-hmm. And since we're not tech companies – it's not really our core competency to make those things work well and ensure that, which is why we have the insurance. Right. Um, we can't necessarily uh, do any better than just using the standard commercial solutions for security and then paying for the policy and um, praying that nothing bad happens. I think when I added on half a million or a million dollars in coverage of tech liability to my general liability policy, I want to say the premium went up 300 bucks a year. Yeah, it was insignificant for us. I, yeah. I don't even know how much it was, but it's entirely worth having. Yep. Yeah, I was pretty much like, you know, pay for it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Give me the coverage. Send yes. me a bill. Uh, I want to protect my clients, my people, everyone I interact with as much as possible. Um, that's just being in good business, good practices. Uh, I want to touch on two more quick things, but real quick on umbrella policies. Mm. So uh, they're super cheap. Yes. And you should get one. Absolutely. So <laughs> the types of people that have what we in the industry call exposures, liability exposures to a point where you it, it warrants you getting an umbrella are people who have pools, people who have horses, people who have dogs, people who have kids in the house, not kids driving, just kids, period. Uh, and especially young adults or teenagers that are driving, those are enormous liability exposures where you have to have an umbrella. You, There's no question about it. You have to. Uh, or if you're a person who does things really at all. 
Are you if a person you, and you, you walk around? Do you breathe air? <laughs> if so, you need an umbrella. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, for my un and underinsured on my auto, I have $1.5 million. That one, that extra $1 million of un and underinsured coverage comes from my umbrella. But for liability purposes, if I was to hurt someone, $2.5 million in coverage for my auto and also for my homeowner's liability. Yeah, it's a good thing to have, especially Absolutely. if you're a business owner um, and you have assets you want to protect. An umbrella policy is always the way to go. And Charlotte, I know you're a pet lover. What do you have to say about pet insurance? Eh, uh, take it or leave it. I mean, I don't think anyone is going to be financially ruined because their dog needs surgery. I mean, if you can shell out five or six grand and you're not going to blink an eye over it, don't bother. Um, But if you're one of those people who loves your dogs, loves your cats, and it's a stretch for you to take them to the vet as needed, pet insurance is probably a good idea. I know Nationwide has a good plan. And I think just Banfield um, at the PetSmart places, I think they have their own plan. So yeah, no, I think it's a good idea. And uh, there's also, there's um, different aspects of it. There's if the dog was to get sick or if the dog was to get injured. There's different pieces of pet insurance. Um, is, Is it worth it though? I don't have it. So I don't know. It just depends. Yeah, it depends on your status. I've known a number of people who've had pet insurance policies, and this was a while ago, I used to be involved in canine search and rescue, so everyone Aww. was particularly concerned about their dogs, and their dogs are at higher risk because um, we were out in the desert and doing a lot of active stuff. So there was a lot of talk about the insurance policies, and people were trying them out. In general, uh, the people who had the policies and had claims had pretty good experiences. Good. Uh, the Banfield policy, people liked. It doesn't cover everything. There were particular exclusions that I can recall that were a problem for search and rescue work. But in general, it was beneficial. Good. But I think it's important to note, I think we're going to do a different episode on health insurance. It's a little bit different to get insurance for something where you know there are going to be expenses. Uh, It's fundamentally a different kind of financial arrangement than when you buy insurance for an uncommon large risk like liability insurance. You don't expect to do something negligent Mm -hmm. and get sued, but it could happen. And if it does, it's going to be a huge dollar value. If your house burns down, we certainly don't expect it. But if it does happen, it's a huge hit. Health insurance and pet insurance are a little bit different in that we know we will have health care costs and we know that our pets are going to have to to go to the vet. So we're really just spreading out the cost. It's more of a plan than it is insurance. You're averaging the cost with other people and spreading it out over time. So the financial dynamics are a little different. Uh, The considerations are a little different. Um, Not really the same kind of insurance, but definitely something that's worth considering. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that pretty much covers it for all of the world of insurance. We've got commercial, car, all sorts of fun stuff, super adulting episode. But next time, we're going to talk about health insurance, medical injuries, and of course, what you should do with all those medical bills. So thank you for joining us. And if you could give us a quick, uh, tell us how they can reach you, Charlotte and Mike, and wrap up. For me, uh, my business, again, is AZ Insurance Team, not Arizona Insurance Team, AZ Insurance Team. Uh, We're located in Tempe, Arizona. Our phone number is 480-535-5709. Website is azinsuranceteam.com. And you can email me at my name, Charlotte, C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E, at azinsuranceteam.com. 
I'm Mike. And I am Mike Poulton with the law firm Poulton & Naroyan. You can find us online at www.pnlaw.pro. That's P like Poulton, N like Naroyan, L-A-W dot P-R-O. Love it. And I'm Rochelle Poulton, your host. And this show is sponsored by my law firm, X-Firm, because we're awesome. You're perfect 10 in financial transaction planning. So join us next time for legitimate health insurance and more. Talk to you then. Mm-hmm.